Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode number three of the Alpine Start podcast. Um, I am so excited to be getting this uh, this episode out to you all. I have, of course, really enjoyed recording the previous two, but um, today's episode is with one of my great mentors, training partners, friends, neighbors, etc., Nikki La Rochelle. Um, and it was, I think, the perfect mix of humor and really poignant insights. So, Multiple times this week, I found myself out running, already excited to finish up my run and get back home to work on editing the podcast, which uh, is not something I frequently experience. Normally, when I'm out running, I'm pretty happy to be there, and I don't want to don't want to finish. So, anyways, I am very excited to share this with you, and I will jump right into introducing Nikki in a moment. But first, I just wanted to give a quick little catch up of what's been going on. Um, Classes are ramping up. We're getting into the semester. I am studying economics and math at the London School of Economics. So um, it's been a bit of an adjustment, just balancing that with other life commitments and also with uh, some pretty big training weeks. I've had a, a string of 30 plus hour training weeks here. So it's been a, a big few weeks, but lots of time in the mountains um, and lots of good good adventures to be had. Um, coming off of Trans Rockies, I took a little a little bit of time easy. I I was really excited to come away with the win there. It was a really pleasant surprise after not racing much this summer thus far. So that was really nice. But I'm happy to be recovered from that that race and getting back into training. Um, this is my last real week of training before tapering next week for our run the rut um up in montana i'm really excited to go up there and yeah just connect with the other racers who will be there and see what the stoke is about because i've heard amazing things about the race so i will be racing a vertical k next friday a 28k next saturday and a 50k next sunday which should be an absolute blast um my family's going to come up and Marshall's going to join us. So it also should just be a really fun weekend and a really fun trip up to Montana. Um, yeah, so that's kind of everything that's been going on in the, the life of Grace. Um, I also actually am really excited to announce that I am co-hosting the Better Podcast, which is my coach, Joe Howdy Shell's podcast. Um, I will be co-hosting every other week. And one of Joe's other best friends, uh, Maddie Rowe, will be co-hosting on the other weeks. So it'll kind of be schemo-focused bi-weekly and then more gravel um, cycling on the other weeks, which should be really fun and exciting. So uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I hope you all are doing well, and I certainly hope you enjoy today's episode. I will... Uh, with that, jump right into introducing today's guest. Thanks, all. Today's guest is Nikki La Rochelle. Um, at the beginning of the episode, she will introduce herself a little bit, but uh, much like Helen, Nikki is so incredibly humble and modest that um, I think it's important for me to uh, introduce her 
at the beginning to give a bit of context and uh, give her the credit she deserves. So Nikki is an endurance athlete. She's a graphic designer. She is a mom to little one cent, AKA Penny and soon to be baby La Rochelle number two. Um, she's also a wife to the amazing B rad and she's a self-proclaimed civilian. Um, though I would say she is also for sure an athlete, um, as much as she may hesitate to, uh, to clump that in her identity. Um, Nikki is someone that I have always looked up to just for how she exhibits courage in life, how she exhibits durability in the mountains, um, and how she just has so much poise and humility in, in her life. Um, she's one of the most kind and inspiring people I know. So I am incredibly grateful that she came on the podcast. Um, She's a member of the U.S. Schemo team. She's also an amazing runner, for sure. She's uh, broken some souls at our local race, the Quandre Crusher. Um, she also got third at High Lonesome 100 and has had some pretty notable race race results. So, for sure, she has had some good performances and is an amazing athlete in her own right. Um, she's just such an overall badass in in life and in sport, I think, she has such a, an amazing perspective on balance and motherhood and risk assessment. Um, I really am excited to share this conversation. I think it's the perfect mix of being hilarious at times and being really serious. Um, Nikki really bravely, I would say, shared her struggles with infertility and a few miscarriages on the way to Baby La Rochelle number two, which I think had a huge impact in our community. So I'm grateful that we have um, a lot of laughs on, on this podcast conversation, but I think Nikki always has some amazing insights as well. For sure, every time I talk with her, I leave having uh, having laughed until I was crying and occasionally having actually cried from uh, very meaningful conversations that we've had. So I hope you enjoy this. Um, and yeah, I just, I hope you're as big of a Nikki La Rochelle fan as I am, because I certainly consider myself the president of her fan club. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Nikki La Rochelle. I was thinking I all the epic people are probably just eating and drinking I to know. their heart's content. Probably. <laughs> Honestly, following the epic was like almost enough to get me to learn how to mountain bike. Not quite because I'm terrified of mountain biking, but almost. I was I like, know. oh, that'd be fun. It's so fun. You could do Grace, you'd be great. I don't know. I just feel like the descending would really freak me out. You just got to like phase it in. Yeah. It's just like it really freaks me out when there's like stuff coming at you quick. I feel like yeah. all the rocks coming at you, I would just be like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. You know what though? You just roll over them. Who knows? Maybe next The 29 summer. wheel really changed the game <laughs> on being like not skilled. But still successful. Well, I'm Mickey La Rochelle, civilian first, and then <laughs> dabble in athletics and uh, graphic design, motherhood, being a wife. I think actually I've talked with a few people recently and I was like sharing that you are like somebody that I run with. You're a mentor to me. And they were like, oh, she won at High Lonesome, right? High Lonesome, was that the first slash only hundred you've done? Yeah. Well, I should clarify. I got third. 
Third, okay. But I won in my own heart. In your own heart, okay. Third can still be winning. <laughs> I mean, it felt good. Third was good. Third okay, was good. good. Um, yeah, that was my first hundred and um, only hundred up to that point, up to current current day. I was supposed to do it this last summer. Gotcha. Um, but I got pregnant. I got knocked up. So now I can't do hundreds. <laughs> I mean, probably smart. Well, I guess so we should probably back up. So first, just how did you get into ultra running slash endurance sports? Yeah, I that's a good question. I moved to Breck from Seattle. And in Seattle, I dabbled. But then I moved here and I was like, oh, Breckenridge is like endurance sports on drugs Mm -hmm. for real. And then I, uh, I, I did the um the, the trail running series, I just saw it in like the newspaper or something. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'll go do this. And I died. It was like a 10K <laughs> and I was dying. And I was running with my friend Kel- Kelly Ahern's dad, Kevin Ahern, famous. Famous. He just retired from being. Legend. Yes, he is legend. And um, I was running with Kevin and he was in his mid to late 50s, just mm-hmm. hammering. And I was like, who are these people? Where do they come from? Oh so, um, I think it was just living here and you you find that um, this is what people do here in turret sports. Mm-hmm. And then um, starting to date Brad at the time we were dating, he got me into Nordic skiing. He got me into skimo. He also got me into mountain biking as well. So that really expanded my endurance horizons. Did you jump into racing right away or was it kind of like the bigger adventures so to speak that came first that is a good question i i think i did the racing first but you know i had a really slow burn like i never Mm -hmm. was very good at it it was like just gradually and incrementally getting better and learning more about training and just slowly and steadily increasing in my ability and then as you know like you start on this train of momentum getting better each result's a little better and it's really compelling to keep Mm -hmm. it going I guess schema racing I started doing that about it's been about 10 years now since I've done that Um, and I was terrible I was terrible (laughs) I remember doing sunlight and I could not wrap my mind around where the lead women, how fast they were uh-huh. finishing. I got lost. I didn't know to lock my boots on the descent. Every ridiculous mistake was made by me. It happens. Yes. It's good, though. You can, like, cross it off the list. For sure. No, that's, like, a shared experience. My first race, I remember, was the Eldora race. And I just remember, like, falling at the top of the boot pack and, like, resigning myself to the fact that I was going to slide all the way back down and, like, not even trying to stop myself. That's how bad I was doing. I was like, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> but sliding down a boot back's a little scary. Yeah, I mean, I was not stoked about it, but <laughs> but I was yes. doing so bad. Yes. So it happens. Were you self-coached the entire time? Have you had a coach? You know, I've dabbled. I've dabbled with the coaching. I um, I've had a few different ones just for brief chunks of time, mostly mm-hmm. to learn and absorb. like their training philosophy and methodologies. So, but generally over the last many years, I've just been self, self self-directed. Yeah. Nice. By my heart. By your heart. Also. Of course. (laughs) If you do everything by your heart, you do really well. Of course. I do feel like the longer you're in sport, like, I feel like when I got into 
schema at first it was like unfathomable to not have a coach mm-hmm. but now it's like i don't know i like having joe because he like keeps me in line yeah and he, like reprimands me when i'm not trying hard enough in my intervals and you know like all the important things yeah <laughs> but it's like the training itself i feel like if you're in it for long enough you kind of do just get a feel for like what your body needs yeah and it, sometimes it's nice to be like If you don't have a super specific plan, you know, if you wake up feeling crappy one day, you can do less. Or like if you wake up feeling really good, you know, you can go for a five hour run or whatever. Yeah. Like I think listening to your body's easier if you don't have a coach. Yes, you're right. You can curate it better to, yeah, where you're at on any given day. But I think people like you obviously respond and I did as well respond really well to coaching. Like, yeah, I would do the workout. I would always make sure it happened and I would do it precisely the way it was prescribed. For sure. So I know there's people that don't have that Mm -hmm. sort of disposition with coaching, but I did thrive in that environment and I would, I'd potentially do it again. It just hasn't always suited where I'm at with my life, but yeah, no, that makes sense. I feel like if you have the time to focus on training though, it can't be nice. At least just personally, I like that. Like I just look at the plan and I'm like, Oh, this is what I'm doing today. Yeah, I don't have to like, actively make the decision every day to go run for six hours I can just be like oh guess I'm going to do it Might yeah I'll deal with it yes <laughs> drink my coffee and up the stove so back to high lonesome was that your first like big effort or did you have other like big races before that that you had to train really specifically for Brad and I did the all the 14ers one summer mm-hmm. and then there was the um I'm, I'm just even spacing the name of the 100K. It was a race from Breckenridge to Vail. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, it only happened once. Killian, oh. Killian and Emily did it. Oh, I feel um, like Helen has talked about that. Helen did it as well. Gotcha. I'm, I can't believe I can't think of the name. That's so bad. But I, I had been doing, you know, weekends of these 14ers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't doing any real specific running training, but I felt fit, mm-hmm. um, especially... My quads for descending felt Sweet. like I did the quandary crusher and they were indestructible. These quads are <laughs> working for me right now. <laughs> so I I sort of on a whim was like, I should just throw my hat in the ring on this 100K. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, not really having a high expectation, I did pretty well, I think for myself. And um, it was great. It was super fun. I loved it. Yeah, I finished in the dark. I was like, did I win? I'm like, no, no, no you, you didn't. But you finished. <laughs> I finished. Yeah, no, it was, it was awesome. Um, but that was my first dabble in like longer stuff. And then, I mean, with doing that 14er project, we ended up having some pretty long days. Like, mm. I mean, I hope I don't get arrested telling this very oh interesting story, but we, to climb Culebra, as you might know, you have to pay money, mm-hmm. but we googled it and oh, uh, reliable sources only <laughs> there's a route there's a route called operation dark snake oh because culebra means snake mm-hmm. and it's like a 26 mile round trip ridge traverse oh to, to circumnavigate the the money paying again i hope wow. like no cops come bust me but <laughs> you know all the cops that listen to my very under the radar podcast hey, i believe it <laughs> they're out there no that took you know that was like a 20 hour we did that with Teague and it was you know so it's like by virtue of that project we put ourselves into situations that lended themselves to these super long efforts just Mm -hmm. almost coincidentally but that was 
Yeah, I love that stuff. I've always yeah. liked the long stuff, for mm-hmm. sure. Do you think the motivation for you is the same to do races and to do, like, the long mountain adventures? Or are you kind of motivated by different things? Also, like, is there one you prefer? You know, I think I don't love being uncomfortable in the way a schemo race <laughs> creates like that experience. Yes. <laughs> like a two hour race is really not my jam. Mm-hmm. It, it just hurts so bad. As mm-hmm. you know, like the redlining. Yeah. I'm realizing it's really satisfying when you finish, but it's not really where I think I excel or do well. I, I like the feeling of the mental battle of like pushing through the ebbs and flows of what comes with just long efforts, going through the night, challenging moments, dynamics with friends or partners. So I think that is more where I feel animated. Like this is what I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think both longer races and longer efforts provide that. You know, I do just like long personal projects Mm -hmm. because the I don't love pressure. Pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't like it that much. Like the ultra intensity. Yes. Just like the game face mode. Yes. Like so certain races I can think of. I've had good results at the Grand Traverse, for example, where I am psyched at the start line. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that race. It feels like it's well within my skill sets. I've had great results. And it's like, I love it. And I'm fired up. But when we go to when we've raced in Europe, I'm like, what am I doing here? What is this? Like, I feel like completely out of my element. And Mm -hmm. there's no competitive posture. It's Mm -hmm. just all... (laughs) for me, has been basically fear. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time I've ever really gotten myself psyched up racing over there is with a partner because mm-hmm. I now feel like the onus is on me to um, do my best for my partner. Mm-hmm. So that has helped. But in general, I do not, I have not thrived in that environment. Mm-hmm. And it's just taken me a bit to realize like, what's life giving to me? What excites me? what's energizing and fun and what's just more like weighing me down. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think there's, there's things to be gained from those high pressure situations. But as I get older, I am old now, 37. (laughs) It, uh, I just, it doesn't quite do it for me anymore. Mm -hmm. So I am so impressed with you. I mean, tell me how you manage the pressure racing in a world cup scenario where you're doing it every week. Like, did that Mm. wear on you? I mean, honestly, I I don't want to, like, take over the time from you because you have, like, I have so many questions for you. But I feel like it's really interesting that you bring that up because I actually had, like, a very funny moment with my dad at Trans Rockies a few weeks ago where he was just, like, we had gone to get coffees and scones before the first stage. And he was just, like, cracking himself up, walking to the start line because we're, like, late. I don't even have my shoes on. I'm, like... But dad, I haven't finished my scone. And he's like, you just don't care, do you? And, and like, I mean, obviously I care a little bit. Mostly I just like love running and love schemo. And I feel the same way I think as you do. Like, honestly, I feel really uncomfortable being competitive. Yeah. When I'm on a cert line, I, I'm never like, I want to beat that person. Yeah. And so I feel like for me, it's more just like trying to enjoy the World Cups and like get the most out of myself. Yeah. Um. I feel like maybe the first year I didn't do great with that. Like when I was over there with Sierra the first year 
And I think the pressure did really weigh on me. Like when I came back, it was COVID. Right. And I feel like I really needed that summer to just like run with Helen and not care about pace and not be competitive at all. Right. And so last winter, I feel like I tried to feel that pressure less. Yeah. But I think it's mostly internal for me. Like I'm not super competitive with other people. I'm just like really hard on myself. But I'm like so uncomfortable being competitive with other people. I I could not agree more. I find that dynamic so bizarre. Yeah. Like your goal is to go do better than another person. Yeah. And you know, I hear women like I don't know if you've ever heard Sabrina Stanley um do a podcast. I have. It's she, very much not me. Yes. <laughs> she she has a very specific disposition of Like, I want to win. I Mm. want to beat everyone. And there's something very pure and focused about that. But Mm -hmm. I've always had this conflicted relationship with competitiveness. Like, on the one hand, I understand how essential it is for competition. Obviously, it's like the heart Mm -hmm. of what you're doing. But it can feel really icky, especially racing with your buddies. Yeah, I think I've always had a hard time with that. But I guess to me, I just, I feel like I can be competitive if I only care about myself. Like, I feel like if I'm the best athlete I can be, you know, like, sure, I can be competitive in a field. I don't know. I feel like I don't need that, like, wanting to be other people. Right. And I, I don't know. I feel like sometimes maybe it's a disadvantage as a competitor because honestly, like, yeah, I show up to start lines and I'm like eating my scone and I'm like, this scone's going to give me superpowers. I, yeah, I guess people are just so different. Like I had listened to a podcast actually with Sabrina Stanley and like, I don't think there's good or bad, but it's just so different than my mindset. Mm-hmm. And I had to like stop running. I was listening to it while running and think about it because she was talking about how she had done the Nolan's FKT mm. and she was talking about how the second time she called it like a business trip. Like they were just there for business. Like to me, I think I love mountain adventures because they teach me about myself and they have this community aspect. It's just this transformative experience. And I don't know. I think personally, I don't want it ever to be only about beating other people, but uh, obviously that makes you a great competitor. Right. So right. it's just interesting to think about how different people are. Yeah. I think the framework you're saying for you of focusing on what you can push your body to do mm-hmm. is probably in ways like a very healthy mental space to have with competition. I It's funny to talk with other people about you could show up at a race and win mm-hmm. given who who attended mm-hmm. or some different people could attend and you could get last. Mm-hmm. So That's it's true. like there's a relativity to where you place and a relativity to who's attending the race. So it's funny to think you could walk away from one race feeling elated that you won Mm -hmm. or walk away feeling so defeated that you got last, but your performance would be the same potentially. You know, it's just, it's interesting thinking through that stuff. It is. It also makes me wonder like if people's experience is different when they win. I think for me, something I've been thinking about a lot recently is like as an athlete, if you can kind of like base your career, not only around racing, like I look at athletes like Payson McElvin, who's a mountain biker, like other athletes who do these projects, the whole premise or a big part of their careers is like storytelling and inspiring other people. And I feel like to me, I look at like when we did that traverse last summer yeah. and I think about finishing that day and just being like so happy that we yes. had just had like such a fun day in the mountains 
and I was like genuinely exhausted and I was like gosh that was like one of the best days of training I've ever had oh and then I think of like winning Trans Rockies and I'm like oh Trans Rockies was kind of fun but like I don't know like the winning didn't like I don't know I just won and it was what it was but like honestly I think I felt more satisfied after our traverse because I had just had like this great day in the mountains yeah But I wonder if you're, like, more motivated by beating other people, if it would be flipped, you know? Right. That's a good point. That's just, like, something I just started thinking about. Side note, way to win Rockies. (laughs) Oh, I mean, it was quite the week. That's amazing. Maybe I should not put this part in the podcast because, like, I'm probably going to be publicly No, now you have to put it in. But I had COVID when I was racing. Grace, And I had no idea. I thought it was a cold because I got it from somebody who tested negative and apparently it was a false negative. So then I'm like operating under this assumption, right? That it's a cold. But then we're in Hawaii. We were those people because we went to Hawaii after the race. Right. And my dad, because he was there sleeping in the tent with me at Trans Rockies, and I'm just like up all night hacking all over him every night. And so now my dad has COVID. No. And we're like, oh gosh, the Stayberg family, we deserve oh, public shaming. No, no, but that's wild. Yeah. So you were sick during the race, but just thought you had a cold. Yeah, I thought I just had a cold, but yeah, it was the craziest thing. Oh. Like the amount of phlegm, I would just like wake up choking. It was so gross. Oh. So everyone, don't get COVID. It's not fun. And racing with it is even less fun. Oh, do you feel better now? I do, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was like maybe three days after the race that I started feeling better. So luckily I've been feeling better now. Okay. Yeah. That is wild. I was like, of course, the first like real race back is the week I get COVID. It's been like two years, no COVID. And then... Right. Ugh. But you still dominated. Kudos. It was just so much fun. It was the same thing. It was like, uh, there were all these nice, like, very nice guys running up at the front who just, like, let me chase them every day and, like, have all these life chats and, you know. Ah. Wholesome things. Yes, that is so wholesome. But it's the same thing. And my dad every day was like, you just didn't care, did you? I'm like telling him about all these like conversations I had during the race. He's like, but how did you feel? I'm like, but let me tell you about this conversation I had. Let me tell you about aid station M&Ms. They were delicious. Yes. See, that's good. I like that perspective. I feel like one of the reasons that I've always been like, oh, Nikki is such a great resource is that you've had some like stomach issues, which I have also struggled with extensively. Um, And the Gibbs have dubbed my issues the trail scoots, which recently (laughs) I've learned people in the Wellington have been like talking about how this is an experience I have. So like apparently everyone knows that I just have dig holes on the trail. It was an embarrassing realization. But anyways, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit just about how you fuel your life in general and like what you've found works best on like big races or big mountain adventures. Yeah, my tummy stuff is the diagnosis is irritable bowel syndrome classic it's a fun one they're like what can you do about it yes (laughs) but they gave me the um dysfunctional wait colonic dysfunction is Mm. the very precise diagnosis mayo clinic i paid for that one (laughs) um but it's like i yeah i've had tummy stuff for since college and Mm -hmm. um it is 
quite bad, I'll say. Like, it's pretty debilitating and affecting to my life almost on a daily basis. And it fluctuates in terms of intensity and so forth. But it does complicate racing. But I can't say I have like a, a magic bullet in terms of how to manage it. I mm-hmm. That's probably another reason I like longer, slower, because I tend to have less stomach issues mm-hmm. if I'm at going at a slower intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly when we're doing like technical scrambling, we're going so slow yeah. um, that really like your heart rate's slow, you're... I think you're exerting a lot, but it's not in a way that's problematic for your stomach. So mm-hmm. I've lucked out there, but I, you know, I, what I find confusing is you will do an effort and eat, eat something and be like, okay, this method worked. I ate mm-hmm. these gels or this food and I felt fine, but you could replicate it and feel terrible. Mm-hmm. And I think that haphazard nature of our guts when we're doing sport Mm -hmm. just makes it, I don't know, I'm baffled. There's no rhyme or reason. (laughs) No, no. With my diet, I think I've just, I stick to like a very simple diet in general. Mm -hmm. Like I almost eat the same thing most of the time, (laughs) which is not glamorous. It works though. Yes. Yeah, I I know what foods can be problematic or triggering to my symptoms. So with racing, you know, I found like moving towards liquids had been helpful. So Mm -hmm. like I love mixing the hammer gel espresso with maple syrup. Oh, I think our friend Mike Schilling taught us that and it is delicious. It sounds like a treat. (laughs) It's really good. The only problem is, is like you put it in your race suit and then it spills like It spilled one time all over and it was so sticky and just Mm. so icky. I felt very unprofessional Mm -hmm. with my giant brown stain (laughs) of like sticky pancake-ness. But um, yeah, I don't know. What have you, have you found things that have worked with your tummy? Uh, Not really. (laughs) I mean, I think it's a similar, like I know what would irritate it more. Like the other day I had kale salad for dinner and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be screwed in the morning. And I was. Yes. But yes, but you're so right. Like, like some mornings I eat nothing before I run. That's like the magic bullet. Like for a while I was like, oh, if I can run fasted, if I'm just running for like an hour with Helen, that'll help. And I won't have stomach issues. But then like some mornings I do. So yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's pretty unpredictable. I know. I guess it just is what it is. And I think there's realities you learn. Like I could not, I cannot run at night. Mm-hmm. Like it is a fact that I cannot just do that. Just does not work. <laughs> I mean, nine times out of 10, I will have a major mm-hmm. problem with my gut if I do that. And I, I do hear like we, I wonder if it's altitude. Like mm-hmm. this is my personal armchair theory because so many women in our community have tummy trouble. And you're like, is it just living at 10K? I, it feels like it has to do with pressure, distension. We could go down that road. Hardcore. <laughs> We could do a whole like poop podcast. A it could poop be a, podcast. It could be like a bonus people have to pay for. Poop, the poop cast extension coming soon. High price for that one. Okay, so I would like to hear personally, mostly. I, I'm sure podcast people would like to as well, but yes. selfish mostly. I want to hear about the traverse you did in the ten mile with uh, Brad and Teague. Yeah. A few years ago. Yes. I think it was a while ago now, wasn't it? I or think, no? I, you know, it's funny. We were, Brad and I were just talking about this. We think it was 2018. 
Though I'm oh, really, wow, that was not a long time ago. I know, I'm really fuzzy with dates in general, but um, I believe that was okay. that that fall. Yeah, we traversed from, it was the Mosquito 10-mile traverse, which apparently is the longest, highest continuous ridgeline in the continental U.S., which is pretty oh, cool. wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And the bulk of it, basically until peak eight, mm-hmm. if you're headed north, is above 13,000 feet. Wow. Um, yeah, we start at Weston Pass and went north. It's, um, I think, 37 miles to peak one. Gotcha. And then finished in Frisco. So it, and it took us 36 hours. So we, oh my gosh, we cracked the uh, one mile per hour. <laughs> Just barely. Speed. I mean, not to brag, <laughs> but we were going pretty fast. fast. Yeah, no, it was, it was crazy. It was, we started at 4 a.m. God bless John Lowe, who drove us there at 3 a.m. He volunteered himself. I mean, that's a friend. It's amazing. You know, J-Lo. He shout out. Through. Yeah, shout out to J-Lo. <laughs> you know, it was just basically like a pretty smooth, straightforward traverse up high. You summit Mount Sherman, which is a 14er. Mm. And then just before, just south of Democrat, another 14er, it starts getting a bit more technical. And then Democrat, more or less, was the midpoint. And we summited that early mid-evening. And then it starts getting technical. So we did the bulk of all the technical terrain in the dark, which is what made it really challenging. Was that like, uh, did you foresee that going in? Or, like, do you wish you would have started at another time? Yeah, so we were trying to figure out the timing. We fiddled with it. We fiddled with going, should we go north to south, south to north? But mm-hmm. inevitably, it felt like we really wanted to start in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like, starting in the evening didn't sound good to any of us. Though, that may have been the better way to go in retrospect. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, I mean, the this technical chunk, it's about a third of the entire route. It was unavoidable to hit in the nighttime, whether you went south to north or north to south. So I think we maybe underestimated how hard that would be, strictly Mm. from a route finding perspective. We were struggling in certain sections. And and Teague and I and Brad had all scouted. We'd all been up in this terrain before, but it was just so tricky at night. Mm -hmm. And it's this loose class three. There's probably a few sections of class four that there it's hard at night. Yeah. It would be hard during the day for most people. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And um, I think I suffered the most from just that risk fatigue. You know, it's like you could take on any given section unto itself and you're fine. But just hours of Mm -hmm. exposure or just having like, you know, heads up, you're being careful, you're a little, you're a little gripped, like Mm -hmm. that wears on you. And I, I had this like breaking point um, on Wheeler Peak where um, it was like this down climb on a slab and Mm -hmm. slab is not my it's not my favorite. <laughs> and it was like a slab that then led to, you know, like a 500 foot cliff. And mm-hmm. Teague and Brad just scampered more or less down it. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, they are rock climbers. So they're comfortable on slab, comfortable trusting their feet. Mm-hmm. But I like really did not feel that good. Mm-hmm. I shed a few tears. It happens. And then Teague and I had like a little baby argument. Brad just was silent. <laughs> and. <laughs> Brad's like, I cannot side with anyone other than my wife yes. right now. 
He's like, I will just stand over here and say nothing. Um, but you know, and then that happened like later on, just over between peak four and peak two. Mm-hmm. I was just so tired. I was mm-hmm. so tired. I felt like my legs stopped working, truly. Like descending peak one, I was a baby deer. My legs would just give out. Mm-hmm. I'd fall on my butt. I've never had that happen. Like they literally stopped working. The legs done. <laughs> yes. So it was wild and it was the most, I think the most satisfying sort of athletic endeavor I've ever mm-hmm. done just because it, it pushed me and, and challenged me immensely. Yeah. It is surprising, like for how hard it is. I'm really surprised it didn't become a part of like the COVID FKT frenzy. Yeah. But it hasn't. It's like, no. I still look like I don't know of really anyone else who's done it. I don't, you know, I know um, we were inspired by Peter Bachlin, who mm. started the FKT website. Oh, wow. I believe with Buzz Burrell. I think they were the two that got it going. And Peter, I don't know if he actually ever successfully did the Traverse, mm-hmm. but he tried it two times. Gotcha. And there's blog posts about it. So Brad had stumbled upon that and shared it with me. And I was like, we've got to do this. To Peter's credit, there's a section between Fletcher and Atlantic, mm-hmm. those jagged peaks you see in McCulla Gulch or Mayflower Gulch, depending on what side you're on. But mm-hmm. He stayed on the ridge proper where we we decided the risk was too great just for that section to mm. stay on the ridge proper. Because that's like class five, mm-hmm. really rotten rock. Well, and you were pretty, t- I mean, that's like pretty, a pretty decent way into it. Like you had already, it's not like you were on fresh legs with a fresh right, mind going right. through a sketchy section. Yeah, we, th- we were there at like 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. And we had to descend down into McCullough Gulch. And even that descent down into this gulch and then back mm-hmm. up, it was perilous unto itself. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just very precarious and we were pooped. And so you could say that's, I'm not sure how you, when you have an FKT and you have like a quarter mile mm-hmm. to half mm-hmm. mile where you descended off the ridge, I'm not sure if people take issue with that. I feel like I'm going to get in trouble. The cops? I mean... I the FKT know. cops? Well, I mean, if there's the, if you were the first ones to do the full thing, I think the FKT is whatever you did. Yes. I would advise anyone going for it. I'm like, just stay safe, man. Don't stay go safe. on that ridge. It's super sketchy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I am actually really interested in talking just about, like, risk assessment. Yeah. I guess first, just, like, on a broad level, I feel like in terms of, like, runners, you're somebody with a fairly high tolerance for like exposure or risk. Maybe it's just coming from me because I am not one of those people. But how do you know where the line is between like a healthy amount of fear and like the amount of fear that you were talking about where you're like the risk is just too high. The safe option is to circumvent this feature. Such a good question. And fear... I mean, before you even answer that, it's like fear is a moving target. I mean, Mm -hmm. one day you might feel super confident and comfortable on something. And the next you could feel totally uncomfortable. I noticed this the most with mountain biking. Like I will, and you hear this all the time, people feel really confident and fluid and good. Like they're riding well. And then there are other days you're like gripped by little rock gardens that you rode yesterday. So Mm -hmm. I find that like I want to pay attention to where I am on any given day. I I feel like I've dabbled with this threshold the most with backcountry skiing Mm -hmm. where I've been trying to push myself to ski harder lines. And I think and and by harder, I mean, for me, harder, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not, not like the objective harder, but I find that I I'm grappling with myself in the ski arena because mm-hmm. I think I should be better at 
backcountry skiing and be more courageous than I, than I am. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm constantly trying to push that envelope. But when I am so gripped that I just wish I could quantum leap my body out of the situation, Mm -hmm. I don't love that. Like, that's where I Mm -hmm. think we push too hard where when I'm scrambling on rock, I do, I do feel really good scrambling. Mm -hmm. Like I love it. I feel confident. I think I've had sort of an an innate draw to that my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up doing it. Just like feel more. Yeah, more at home in that. Yeah, I do feel at home in it. Um, And I don't have that feeling as much. Hmm. It's really the skiing. Interesting. Yeah, skiing freaks me out. (laughs) I'm really scared of, like, falling. Mm -hmm. I'm scared of avalanches, but I'm more afraid of, like, sliding Mm -hmm. from 2,000 feet. (laughs) Well, then I guess it makes sense. Like, with scrambling, you have to trust your feet. I mean, you also have to trust the rock you're on, but it's mostly your feet. With skis, it's like, at the end of the day, you're on two planks. Yes. I I think the fear of falling is more legitimate when you're on skis than when you're scrambling. And you see that, like, when I'm out with Brad, we have different thresholds for terrain. Like, I feel more fine in, you know, moderate-sized scree where you could maybe break an ankle or something, but I don't Mm -hmm. feel like my life's at risk. But Brad gets really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in this stuff. Like, it's almost baffling to me. And then, conversely you know, any kind of like more advanced climbing where you're maybe getting into fifth class stuff, mm-hmm. he excels and I, I feel more timid. So, but you know, it's like watching my daughter, watching little kids, you can see just innate ability, even climbing on the scree behind her house. You can see with her buddies, you can see kids that feel comfortable. They trust themselves, they're fluid. And then you can see kids that have a lot of apprehension. Mm-hmm. So you, I'm like, is that an innate Which maybe some quality? of it is, like, because I look at, like, I mean, I look at you and I'm like, wow, I really wish that I could be this comfortable in this kind of terrain. Or in some cases, it is, like, thinking about the traverse you did, where it was, like, higher class stuff. Yeah. Or on a, a completely other side, it's just, like, looking at Quandary Crusher, where, like, you descend... And it's just like, like I could never run downhill that fast. Oh, well, I can't run uphill. You're fast. But it's just so crazy to think about. Like, (laughs) you know, like I get so terrified of exposure, but it's not like I was like thrown off a cliff as a baby. Yes. Yes. Like it's not like I had a traumatic experience in exposed terrain that you didn't, you know? Yeah, totally. Like it doesn't always seem like there's rhyme or reason to it, which is interesting. I think so too. I think so too. I think what, yeah, and I think like talking about skiing, going with partners that, I mean, often I'm with partners who are completely undaunted by a line that Mm -hmm. I'm pretty feeling pretty afraid of, Mm -hmm. and watching them have zero reaction, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like they're completely comfortable, that actually really helps. Mm -hmm. But I find if I'm with a partner who's equally fearful, Mm -hmm. that could be there's that. not like that sense of calm no in the situation <laughs> i think it exacerbates the fear and mm-hmm. it, it almost puts into question like is this a good line to be skiing like is this outside my ability yeah it's always just finding trying to find that edge mm-hmm. but i don't i'm not a fan of pushing beyond it where you just hate the experience mm-hmm. that's not for me it seems like you just really have a a sense for what you're comfortable with with yourself like you're not really like a Alex Honnold of the world where it's really like you're putting your life on the line all the time. <laughs> right. But do you think that having 
penny changed how you assess risk. I'm always really interested in that with people. Just if having a family, like having more of something to come home to changes. Or, I mean, it seems like you were really smart before in assessing risk. So maybe it didn't. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, talking about that, that Western traverse, that was the reason I said, I can't feel good about doing that little section. I thought, you know, I... I have more to me, like there's more than just me. I'm a mom and Mm -hmm. I am responsible for a little kiddo and as tempting as risk can be in ways, which I think we're all compelled and drawn to it in some capacity, I have to kind of take my foot off the gas a little bit and be a bit more analytical about what I'm willing to do. I think because of her primarily, I cannot justify like extreme risk with her. I I mean, it's not like people go out in the mountains wanting to die, but I think like if you feel like you have a responsibility to something back home, like for sure, it makes sense that you would take that into account. It's not just you anymore. So yeah. Agreed. Like the choice impacts somebody else, which is interesting. Yes. I'm also interested just in general, like how how you think having Penny changed, or maybe it didn't change, but how it impacts like how you balance everything in your life, like training with work, with family life, with racing, with all these different things you have going on in your life. Like I think a ton of people really admire athletes who aren't just athletes. They have all this other stuff and they balance it and they're just as fast. I mean, like so many things or basically I would say everything is constantly emerging and unfolding and becoming something new. And it's Mm -hmm. like thinking of my own relationship with sport. It's not static. It's like very dynamic. And I can observe how I'm always trying to put my finger on where I'm at with it, Mm -hmm. what I want to give to it, how much time I want to give to it. I always think about by choosing to dive into one thing, you're not choosing to do a million other things. Mm -hmm. There were moments probably 10 years ago where as I was ramping up and getting better and better with sport, I could feel myself become very myopic with it, really drilling down, really becoming like, oh, I could do so much better if I could give this much more time to it. And I focused a lot on nutrition and recovery and I could feel the pull of that temptation. And I think so many of us have this personality type of like, how can I achieve this? How can I make this as perfect as possible? Like, mm-hmm. what can I dump into this? And it was at that point I I observed myself doing that and thought, I can't let myself go down this road. Like, mm-hmm. I think if my self-esteem, self-worth, who I am is totally resting in sport, that mm-hmm. is going to be a problem. If Especially if I don't perform. I mean, I I think of people that have like an A race and they dump everything into it and they don't perform Mm -hmm. like Emma Coburn. Yeah. Like think of Emma Coburn. Yes. And I'm not comparing myself to, (laughs) I am not Emma Coburn. God, she's so beautiful. Oh, she and she's is. funny. Oh gosh, amazing. I was irritated by her being funny. I'm like, why she's are like you a funny? She's like person. Yes. Somehow she's funny. She's beautiful. I know. The food on her Instagram always looks so good. Yeah, that her mom her makes hair her. always looks good. I know. She has like nice clothes. I'm like, geez. Yeah. You got it together, girl. Yes. <laughs> so... I know it might shock you and and your listening audience. You. I am not Emma Coburn. I'm not going to the Olympics, but you think of a professional athlete pouring themselves into mm-hmm. training for this one opportunity and to have the outcome, you know, pan out as it did for her. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, but luckily, as I introduced myself, I'm a civilian, so I don't have oh, to yes. put myself so in that position. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
I just think there's so many parts of us and I'm an artist, I'm a mom, I I like to really dive into spirituality and thinking through like deconstru- deconstructing my Christian background and what Christianity means to me now, mm-hmm. which is also could be a really intriguing bonus episode. Gosh, we have so many deconstruction bonus of Western Christianity. <laughs> I need to start studying now. Poop and then Western I Christianity. I think you're gonna be really rich, you know, from really these bonus rich. episodes. Of course. I mean, give the people what they want and they will deliver. <laughs> I'm glad we're making some jokes, Grace. We talked about making jokes and I felt like it got a little serious there. So I'm hoping there's more joke opportunity. We're rebounding, we're rebounding. <laughs> But there's just there's just so much more for me and um, mm-hmm. focusing on what's life giving and what keeps me well rounded. I mean, I really think the balance is important. But by d- focusing on that, you do sacrifice and you do compromise probably what you could be as an athlete potentially. Mm-hmm. But then you hear about people like these kind of no namers at these big races like Western states who have full time jobs, mm-hmm. and it's so normalizing to hear that like for sure maybe the over focus is actually causing some self-destruction for people really feel like I need to be available for my daughter um Mm -hmm. even going camping it was like I used to get up and run really early when she was a baby but now when Mm -hmm. we're camping I want to be there when she wakes up I don't want to be gone um and I know people do it all sorts of different ways but for me it's worth being a present mom. Uh, I just don't want to take away that. I think that should be my priority. So yeah, which isn't to say I don't have goals and all that, but, but I think you can have both. Yeah, I think so too. And I think consequently, I just hold performance more loosely. Like Mm -hmm. my expectation just cannot be what it used to be because I haven't given myself to the training and effort in the way that I used to. But Mm -hmm. in ways, I think that that sort of like more cavalier, more calm presence in races can actually be beneficial. I feel like balance is like something I think about so often because I feel like on one hand, I am so inspired by like people like you or I mean, really most of the athletes in Summit County, like even Helen, who like had a full time job the entire time she was racing professionally. Yeah, Yeah. Because I feel like I don't. I don't ever want to, like, just be an athlete. Because, like you were talking about, I had... Oh, my gosh. I had listened to this podcast with Gwen Jorgensen. Uh, oh, actually, yeah. it was with her husband, Patrick. He had said, pretty much word for word, like, if she didn't win in Rio, the four years before were a failure. Oh. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I would be so depressed. Uh, that mindset would be so unhealthy for me. Because, yeah. like, the chance that you don't win is... Like, that's right. always a chance. Yes. And, like, if you consider four years of your life a failure, like, all of that training counted for nothing, right. oh, my gosh, I would just be a wreck. So then I think about it, and I'm like, okay, well, I want to be an athlete, but I also want to be in school, and I also want to have a relationship and all this other stuff. This summer, I've been in this place where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm, like, overextending myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just exhausted because I have so much going on. Yeah. So I feel like the balance is just such a – it's such a fine line, like, figuring out what your priorities are – And then, like you say, you just can't, I mean, you can't have three priorities that you want to give 100% to, you know? Like, if you want to give 80% to training, you only have 20% left for other stuff. So you just have to take that into account, you know? You can't be everything. Yes. At all the time. Right. So I think then it just does have to shift. Yeah. I mean, we're not, none of us are going to be the same athlete for 20 years, you know? Like, of course, things change. Right. You know, this is a major topic with moms and dads of like, 
I say what I just said as though it were a deliberate decision, but in fact, it's more sort of a de facto mm-hmm. place to be because at some point something had to give. It was mm-hmm. like, I can't sustain this level of um, motherhood, this level of mm-hmm. friendship. Like, um, yeah, wanting to be a good friend, a loyal friend, an available friend, being a member active in my community. These, I know these mm-hmm. things are important to you too and important to probably everyone listening. Like, we have all these priorities, but I think talking to so many moms with sport, it just felt like you can't do it. Like mm-hmm. you got ground down, like you're, yeah. you were pregnant, you're breastfeeding, you're whatever you're doing, and then your kids get bigger and then you're they're occupying time and space in a different way. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you just cannot show up in the way you could before. And it's, if I'm totally honest, it's tough. I sort of think back on times when I had the availability to be more attuned to training, Mm -hmm. be more rested, all that stuff. Earlier, I said that in probably a way that sounded self-assured, but I think it's been this sort of constant evolution that has some sadness and remorse. But Mm -hmm. But also just thrilled to have a family. And i it's hard to explain. It's just a lot of, like, one day I'll feel a certain way and another day I'll mm-hmm. be sad. I can't go do, I mean, being pregnant now, I haven't been, you know, I haven't been able to do any big mountain loops or anything just because of how I've been feeling. Mm-hmm. And um, that bums me out. Yeah. But it's it's okay. Which is fair. I mean, you could be <laughs> thrilled about being pregnant and bummed that you yes. can do mountain adventures, you know? Like, yes. it's not like you have to be, I mean, you can feel different ways about yes. the same thing at the same time. Yes. I love that Walt Women quote. quote. Mm-hmm. It's, um, we are large, we contain multitudes. And oh, it's I love like, that. Yeah. So wholesome. Yes. Back to wholesome. No, you're right. <gasps> Maybe it's saying just... it too much. <laughs> this conversation, it's just so wholesome. <laughs> no, it's true. It's, um, I think any mom or dad would agree. There's a lot of push and pull and it's not always obvious how to feel. <laughs> I would love it if you could just talk a little bit about like the fact that you guys are adding a new member to your family, which... By the way, a whole neighborhood very excited about. In the Gibbs household, we've been like searching for onesies that we can gift you. Johanna found this like Nordic onesie that she's so excited about. And of course, now I'm spoiling the surprise, but Nordic onesies for the win. Yes. But I'm wondering if we can just talk a little bit about that. And um, like you were so open about the struggles in expanding your family. And I think. Yeah, I'm sure like so many people really appreciated that and it really spoke to them. So I'm interested like why you were comfortable with that and why you decided to share. You know, you asked me earlier about when we you mentioned High Lonesome being my only hundred. I think that's not how I predicted that to go. I mean, I had mm-hmm. such a, a lovely time at that race and I was like, oh, I want to do a bunch of these. But it's been years of infidelity. 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 Infertility. <laughs> Correct. Scratch that, Brad. I love you. I do not cheat. No, it was years of... Trying to get pregnant. Um, I had two miscarriages, which that stuff takes time and energy and is also demanding physically. So I've had just this long history of dealing with with this. And it was impactful, of course, in my life. But just from a sports perspective, I I really wasn't often in places to be able to race because I either Mm -hmm. thought I was pregnant or I was trying to get pregnant and trying to 
dial it back a little bit or coming off of a miscarriage was really hard physically. So yeah, and I, I, you know, I, when I was going through it, it just felt so deeply sad to Mm -hmm. me, like just a lot of pain and grief. And I think the most baffling thing about it is I remember going into an ultrasound and having kind of a bad feeling about it. And in my mind, I just was saying to myself, miscarriage happens all the time. It's very normal, you know, just trying to normalize, like if that was the the end result, kind of mentally preparing myself for that to be the outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, But when they in fact told me like, you know, you're, this baby has no heartbeat, it was just so, so deeply difficult. And I burst into tears and ran out of the doctor's office. And it, it almost felt like there was this major disconnect from the logical side of me that was just trying to say, Hey, this is this is par for the course. Like this happens to women all the time. Mm-hmm. With like grieving this loss of potential. It's like a potential mm-hmm. life, you know? And it felt confusing to <laughs> even respond to it. I don't know if you've ever felt, you know, sort of overtaken by emotion but not really understanding mm-hmm. where it's coming from necessarily, but that was my experience with both those miscarriages, just feeling so much loss and pain. And knowing so many women are like going through this, showing Mm -hmm. up for work the next day. And men too. I mean, men are grieving the loss of children as well, but there's no one talking about it. There's certainly stigma around it, no question. And I, it's just thinking of, of people out there in this silent grief that I thought, I will just throw this out there that I have gone through this and Mm-hmm. I put it on my Instagram with my millions of followers. <laughs> the millions. The millions. No, not many, but, but maybe still helpful. Like, I feel like I looked at the post and I feel like you got like hundreds of comments yeah. for, for not having a million followers. Yes. It was like so many of the people who follow you, it resonated enough with them that like they wanted to reach out about it. Yes. Which like just shows how important it is that, you know, like people do talk about it because if it even helps one person, I guess my feeling is that like, I feel like it's so worth it. Yes, absolutely. And I got a bunch of direct messages where people just shared their experience with it. Mm-hmm. And it really goes to show that people are sitting with these this grief and these feelings and not having avenues to process it or work mm-hmm. through it. I mean, I think even that just very simple posting demonstrates that there isn't good resource for mm-hmm. talking through this. And it's it's been so encouraging seeing mental health become just at the forefront of the, mm-hmm. you know, our cultural dialogue. Like this is what is going on. People are struggling. So mm-hmm. I think even just putting words to this stuff has to be helpful. For like, sure. even if you're just a civilian, you know? Even if you're just a civilian. <laughs> it's it's got to help. It's got to help. I think so. When I think, especially in our community, I mean, I feel like the endurance community draws so many people who do have these, like, really painful life experiences because so many of us have done relatively big, like, big for us efforts where it's, like, by lots of people's standards, you're in a place where you're, like, suffering, quote, unquote. But I feel like that's, like, part of what brings the ultra community or like the endurance community together is it like for these people they have so many life experiences that are like true suffering where like you have no choice over this like hard situation you're yeah. in so like then when we're in the mountains like just working hard like sure it doesn't feel great but like at the end of the day we're choosing to be there you know mm. and i don't know i just feel like it's not the same the reason so many 
endurance athletes can really push through that mental challenge is that it's a challenge that like they're choosing and compared to their life experiences, it's not like true suffering. Yeah. So I feel like talking about like mental health becomes so much more important in a community where I feel like it's more prevalent than like the general population. Yeah. And it's like all these hardened people who are like exploring the mountains. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, I've wondered with the, you know, athlete communities, if there is this sort of grit, like Mm -hmm. this expectation of grit and pushing through. And I think it makes people so much more weary to expose like Mm -hmm. potential weakness. I use in quotes, like mental health or a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, so many women um, have, you know, negative feelings of themselves. Like this was my fault. I didn't do something right. Um, My body wasn't capable. Like it wasn't hospitable Mm -hmm. to a baby having sort of feelings that, that they're not good enough. They're not strong enough. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, these are so emphasized. And then I think women simultaneously are trying to compensate in these ways. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, even, even thinking about women with like their cycle, like something that's Mm -hmm. so important to their bodies, there's like crazy crap going on with hormones and all sorts of things. But I see athletic women pushing that down because it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is a weakness. This is a vulnerability men aren't dealing with. Um, therefore I'm not going to give it space and time. Mm-hmm. And I see that with other things like, yeah, miscarriage, infertility, mm-hmm. infidelity, kidding. Infidelity, all that. <laughs> Nikki's eating frisky in the town of Brack, folks. Watch but, out. Yes. Yeah, watch out for me. Coming to streets near you. Yes. Nikki yes. LaRochelle. <laughs> These vulnerabilities are so important. Like for they're sure. what make us human and mm-hmm. we got to talk to it, talk about it. I do feel like that's true. I feel like that's maybe the one drawback just to endurance sports in general is that so much of it is no pain, no gain. What yeah. doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yes. Like all of these things. I don't know. You don't always have to like prove that you're tough. You know, you don't always have to be like enduring the most. You don't always have to be like the toughest person. Yeah. Or like if you want to think about it that way, sure. But like maybe tough is like admitting that you need help, you know, or like getting help when that's hard. Yes. Not just like trying to tough it out yourself. Yes. I don't know. I just Let want me to ask see that you this podcast host. Oh, goodness. What do you think of DNFs? Because so it's mm-hmm. like there's the camp mm-hmm. that's like never DNF. You finish what you start and like you should, you know, push through and never, you never quit. Mm -hmm. And then there's the camp of people that are like, yeah, so I felt injured and I quit Mm -hmm. or like I wasn't feeling it that day and I quit, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like your uh, personal philosophy on the DNF. I mean, I feel like there's so much gray area. For sure. I'm not in the like never quit camp. I feel like I hate that. Like, If you have an injury, I I don't know why you would keep going. You know, like, you're going to be injured for longer than. I I feel like it's so individual. Like, personally, I never want to be one of the people who DNFs just because it's hard. Yeah. Of course, things are going to hurt in a long race. Of course, it's going to get hard. Of course, you're going to have moments where your motivation is down. But I feel like there are so many moments where it's warranted. You know, like, like you said, if you feel an injury... I mean, like, I really like Joe talks about the difference between, like, sensation and pain. Uh Where, like, sensation is, like, the red lining you feel in a vertical race. Where you're like, this really hurts. 
Or even at the end of a really long effort, like, oh my gosh, my quads feel like they're ripping off the bone, mm. you know? But really, mm-hmm. your quads are just exhausted. Mm-hmm. It's not like you tore a quad. And then pain, where it's like, you should probably stop. Like, if you have an injury, you know? Yes. And But I I'll, actually, this is so interesting. This morning, then, I was listening to a podcast with Dakota Jones, and he was talking about his DNF at UTMB in 2014, maybe, and essentially, he said he just, like, wasn't feeling it that day. Mm-hmm. And I will say, actually, I am against people who, like, go into a race wanting to win, and then they're in third, and they quit because uh, they're not going to win. Yes. I don't like that. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. But his point was, like, he just realized that he didn't want to be there, and he didn't know why he was. And to me, like, I don't know. If you're in the middle of a race and you just lose your why completely... Sure. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like that's valid. So uh, that's an interesting one. I feel like it's so case by case. Yes, you're right. It is. It also, is. like, if I had, uh, like, if I had had to dig so many holes that my intestines were, like, really dying and I was, like, in serious medical danger, I hope that, like, people would be okay with me quitting. Yes. <laughs> you don't even need to worry about people. You're okay with it. I hope that, yeah, yeah I hope yes. that I would be okay with me quitting. Quick digression. When you're digging your mm-hmm. your your scoot holes is mm-hmm. that what we call them okay, is that with it. your hands like how oh, are you no, i have your... actually like a little shovel so <laughs> if it's well if i'm just like on a short six mile run you know i'm not gonna pack the shovel because then i'd have to like run with shovel in hand that'd be ridiculous but like if i'm going on a run long enough that i have my pack i bring a shovel wow i also have there's this device for women where it's like a pee funnel so you can pee standing up Sometimes I carry that because it folds down really small and it's very handy in long races where like squatting really hurts, you know? Yeah. Like, Like, can I get back up? Sometimes you can't squat without like hurting your knees or something. Like, let's talk about when you peed after your 24 hour effort. For example, when Nikki helped me pee after my 24 hour effort, it was like questionable if I was just going to pee all over myself because I couldn't squat. It really. would have been fine though, you know, at that point. It would you have. You could pee all over yourself. It would have been totally fine. But I was have, worried about you squatting because I'm like, yeah. will her legs allow her? Can she stand? Can she extend the knees yeah. back up to a stand? Unfortunately, position? I didn't have my pee funnel, but I should have made Marshall carry it in the backpack because he was like the only one with the backpack. This is amazing. Uh, but okay, yes, I but do you have, have a shovel. shovel. It's like a small gardening shovel, not like a full-on shovel for listeners. So I this think. is a real testament to your tummy stuff that you have a you have purchased a, a small shovel. Oh yeah. I feel like you just learn to deal with it, you know? Yeah. But like had I told had a past Grace told future Grace about this, past Grace probably would have been like, We're gonna go a different path. We're gonna take up like boxing or like something less jarring, you know? <laughs> it's the jarring. That's I think the it problem. is the jarring. Because in the winter, like I have issues still outside of sport. Like some days I wake up and it's just like I have to lay in bed for a while. Aww. But like when I'm skiing, it never makes it worse, you right. know? Whereas like when I'm running, there's like a definitive correlation between running and worse stomach issues. Yes. And I would say it's like five out of seven days. Oh. But like last summer, it was like seven out of seven days. Oh. And I was like doing doubles. So then it was like 14 times a week I was having serious GI rebellion. Oh. That's rough. So I feel like this year's an improvement. Okay. Also, like, it's making everyone in this neighborhood laugh. So maybe it's (laughs) worth it. I don't know. Hey, yeah. Always good. 
Getting laughs is high on my list. <laughs> laughs is high on the list. Yeah. It's okay if I have no lining in my intestines anymore because oh. the people are laughing. Oh. That's <laughs> what us jokesters do. You sacrifice the body. Oh, I'm sorry. Your tummy's so rough. It's okay. Yeah. It happens. But yeah. it is nice to know just that, like, there's other people, you know? Honestly, I have found that so helpful. Like, Helen also doesn't have a great stomach, and I run with her all the time, which is so good for me because I don't even care. At this point, I have just accepted it. Like, it's just an unfortunate reality. I got my shuffle. I got my toilet paper. <laughs> yes. I found this TP kit that has a resealable bag. I'm just so prepared. So I don't get, even care. You should get sponsored by, like gastroenterologist international oh, yeah. or something like oh, yeah. i think there's real opportunity here for you i might have to make it a thing <laughs> but like i don't even care but then you know i go run with other people yes. and it's like it's really tough like lots of times i'm like hesitant to say yes to running with people yeah. i don't run with frequently because like they don't know about the situation and then i feel really guilty when i have to stop all these times but also like if you got to stop you got to stop there's like no uh, you can't just will the situation no. away. No. So, like, having Helen to run with has been good. Because she's always just like, okay. Yeah, she We'll just she knows. take a quick break. Or, like, there was one day where I just had to, like, sit on the ground for a few minutes. Because I was in so much pain. And uh. Helen was just, like, telling me about someone who, ridiculous, who had called to town hall, like, asking if they could land their airplane on airport road. <laughs> And it was just, like, the most hilarious scene. Like, me lying on the ground. We're on Boreas Pass. So people are, like, driving by. And Helen's just talking at me. Like, not phased. I love it. It's okay. I can picture it perfectly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would like to talk about Schemo a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, Obviously, very exciting news about the Olympics. And already rooting. This, we can plug it for the first time here. The Nikki and Rory Commentators Club. Yeah. Coming soon, 2026. But I feel like I've seen so many interesting perspectives on, like, what Olympic inclusion could mean. I especially loved Mike Foote's perspective about, like, how it could just help make uphill access more Mm. accessible. Oh. Or I had heard somebody talking about how, like, lots of times gear technology trickles down. So, like... Olympic inclusion will incentivize brands to make even faster gear. Ah. And, you know, then today's race gear will become more accessible to the general public. Right. Which also could be so cool. Yeah. So I'm interested in what you think just like the future of the sport is and or what you think Olympic inclusion could do for that. You know, this is a topic where I feel a bit out of my wheelhouse. Like I don't know enough about... Mm -hmm. what this process looks like. I admittedly had some reservations about it. Like, what will this impact be? Mm -hmm. Um, Is this just sort of taking a sport that's rooted so much in this, like, wild... Mm -hmm. I mean, I I guess it's... And, well, there's the delineation between United States schemo and -hmm. European schemo, where you have these, like, perfectly cut boot packs over in Europe. You Mm -hmm. know, they're, like, beautiful. They're, like, incredible courses, as you know better than basically anybody here. (laughs) Joe Reese's, in case anyone was wondering, (laughs) are not cut with a chainsaw. Yeah, sorry, Joe. I mean, they're not quite the same. Yeah, we're, like, a little rough and tumble out here in the the West. But but I think that's what... I love about the sport is just how um, oh, we have a crying child crying in the background. Crying child in the background. It's cool. It adds ambiance. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> but uh, I, I was worried it would, you know, they have to curate it mm-hmm. to a, a fit an Olympic venue and what will that mean and what will the end result be? So I, I did have concerns, but ultimately after 
a lot of conversations with people because mm-hmm. this is just for me it was a lot of gathering information like mm-hmm. Joe Hattie Shell certainly knew a lot about this I think from his background with Nordic skiing it was being in on some of the board meetings we've had just mm-hmm. talking about what this will mean he had good insights that I hadn't even thought of so I think what excites me the most though is thinking of athletes like you like oh my god Grace could be an Olympian like how mm-hmm. cool is that or Cam or any number of like Mm-hmm. younger or even like I wonder if I wouldn't su- be surprised if like a John Gaston could go mm-hmm. I mean he, I know For he's sure. older than you but he's insane yeah I mean almost in schema I feel like it is the older people like yeah. when I think about it I'm almost like oh my gosh I'm still gonna be 23 like yeah. I don't know if it even will be my Olympic cycle you know like maybe I would be better at schema in 2030 right. I, I don't even know which is so cool about our sport it is like it's not just this like two-year period you don't just have one Olympic cycle I feel like yes it is and I, you're right that watching the Olympics this year you do see people that were in their 30s mm-hmm. competing I mean I know that's not commonplace but certainly there were older athletes and yeah. younger athletes like there was this wide difference Steve age. I think I had never paid attention to it before. I, I'm psyched to see where it goes, but I, I can't say I, I really have a good sense on how this will evolve over the next few yeah. years. I mean, I think it'll be, I think it'll be good for our sport as a whole. And I don't know, I guess it, to me, it just seems most productive to think about it almost as like two separate sports. Like, I don't know. I feel like looking at climbing is a great example because like the Olympic climbing is obviously not like free soloing El Cap, right. but like free soloing El Cap still exists. Yes. So I feel like we're still going to have these like awesome rough and tumble races in the U.S. where you win plates that are like homemade by Joe Reese. It's like sure. my most prized possession. Or I wanted frozen turkey. Me too. Yes. That year. Yes. <laughs> and it was right before Thanksgiving I know. that race was. It was so handy. And I'm like a deeply practical person. So yeah. I was like, this is literally the best gift so nice. I could have received from yeah. Cosmic. And honestly, that's probably like the time I felt most satisfied by a win because because the people in second got Cornish hens, which like that's only a meal for one person. But it, when I won, I could feed the whole family. Yes, the whole state. You're bringing plan. home the bacon, literally. Yes, literally. <laughs> we'll still have the races we have. The Pierramenta is certainly not going away. Yes. Um, but there also will be an Olympic version of Schemo. And maybe it's not the same, but I don't know if that really matters. You know, like, if athletes don't want to try and make the Olympics, I think that's fine, too. Like, if they don't approve of the version in the Olympics, you know, they can keep racing the World Cups. Yes. I don't know. I guess to me it seems like... That's a I'd be surprised if it changed the whole sport. You know, I don't yes. think every race is going to become like the Olympics. And maybe the Olympics won't be at, like the rough and tumble wild schemo. But like, if you don't like the Olympic format, you know, you don't have to be an Olympian. Agreed. That's a, a, such an astute point. And I think you explaining it just as you did is it such a that's so valid. I hadn't really thought of it quite like that. But it's not as though it's, yeah, it's not changing. Uh, yeah. Well, and I don't know, maybe it would, but I guess I can't say for sure. I also am not an expert. Yes, I, but you're but, right, it, it seems highly unlikely. In like the Pyramenta or um, PDG, any of those, mm-hmm. Mesalama, those races are not going anywhere. Yeah. And they will maintain the character that they have all along. It's hard mm-hmm. to imagine how the Olympics would even impact that. Well, and I think in the U.S. we can do the same, you know? Like, if all of these people love the Grand Traverse, which people do, the Grand Traverse isn't going to go anywhere. Yes, Like, sure, the Grand Traverse is not going to be the Olympic style, though... 
I will say that would like really, I would love that. But clearly it's not going to happen. <laughs> yes. But like the great will yes. still exist. Yeah. Yeah. No, great point. I, yeah. I'm guessing you're excited. I mean, is this totally on your mind to, is this like the biggest um, goal? I don't know. I don't think so, actually. I feel like the news is really exciting. I think I will want to try and make the team. But I also feel like going back to what we were talking about before, like I never want to be in a position. I don't want to put myself in a position now where I'm like, my only goal is making that team in four years. You know, like I just I would be so devastated then if in 2026 I didn't make the team. And I don't want to like set myself up for that, especially knowing that like it's going to be an individual and a sprint like. Right. I'm not a sprinter. I know that about myself. And I don't want to devote the next, I don't want to like give up mountain adventures and long races for the next four years just to make the team like it's not worth it to me. Yes. I think especially knowing what I said earlier about like the fact that I was just as satisfied after spending 14 hours in the mountains with friends as I was after winning a race. Like, yeah, I also think just like I was never a great athlete and schema was not a sport I started when I was young. So like being an Olympian wasn't a dream I had my whole childhood, you know? Right. Like you look at Olympians who talk about like wanting to be an Olympian yeah. since kindergarten. Right. That, that just wasn't me. No. I'm pretty sure I wanted to be like an electrician or something like something really uncool. <laughs> You're like, I really want to live out a very practical lifestyle. I have these memories of myself being young and being like, I'm going to wait until I'm 30 and I'm a successful woman. And then I'm going to have two kids and I'm going to name them Yvette and Billis. <laughs> Billis? <laughs> Who names their kid Billis? I don't know how we digressed. We were talking about Skimo. Yes. Okay. But this is all so relatable. back to schema. Yes. <laughs> I feel like you've been in the sport for a lot longer than I have. So I'm curious if you think that like even as because schema is going to keep growing in the U.S. I'm wondering if you think like schema in the U.S. will continue to be a very different culture from schema in Europe. Because mm-hmm. I think like even with trail running, like it's different. It's a different vibe in the U.S. than it is in Europe. Yeah. Um. Like they don't win turkeys. Right. In Europe. Right. Yeah, that's a good question. It's funny. I think putting our finger on what our U.S. culture of schemo is, Mm -hmm. is that like a question unto itself? Because in ways it seems there's this sort of crude sort of uh, like it's got these rough edges around it and it's this hodgepodge of like people in suits and people on split boards, but it, Mm -hmm. it really depends on which race you're going to. That is true. Yeah. And then I'm, I do fear when I talk to buddies who are interested in getting into it, it does seem like people are pretty apprehensive because of Mm -hmm. how intimidating it often strikes people Mm -hmm. with the race suits. It's all about the suits, man. We got to get rid of the suits. You know, it's funny because I think that's so true. Like it is really intimidating and, I don't want to, like, open a can of worms here. But, like, uh, when Sisters of Schemo came out, I was, like, still fairly new to the sport. And, like, personally was so intimidated by people on the start line. And, like, I mentioned that in the film. And people took so much offense to it. But, like, that was just my experience at the time. And it was the same thing. It's, like, now that I've been in the sport longer, you know, I'm, like, gosh, this is the nicest group of people. It's so welcoming. No one should be intimidating, but like 
Uh, the suits, man. Yes. And like, yes. people seem so fast. And the sport seems so intimidating to get into because you're like, I'll never be as fast as these people, you know? Yeah. But then, yeah. like, here we all are. We're just like some nerds in spandex. <laughs> like, none of us care how fast anyone is. You know, like, I just want more people in the sport. I don't care if yeah. people are slow. Yeah, I know. I think it's just, it, I mean, there are oddities to the sport, like the transitioning. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not like, a, a turkey trot turkey sure. lots of turkey theme now another but it, bonus episode i think some of that reluctance is just what do i do like mm-hmm. for a brand new person it's like i don't even know what's going on here like this is wild it'd be i think analogous for me to enter a cycle cross race i don't yeah. quite totally even understand what's happening i'm like there's mud mm-hmm. you go in laps i don't know how long you go i That's can't tell true. who's in first place. I don't want to get in someone's way. Mm -hmm. So I think those fears are even outside of the actual like community element Mm -hmm. um, that are prohibitive in ways. And I I think that's why though, like the Grand Traverse, speaking of that race again, that seems to garner all sorts of people. Mm -hmm. Like some people, this is like a, I want to just finish. Mm -hmm. We're from Kansas. We haven't even been on skis, you know, or to really high level people racing. Mm -hmm. And I tend to be more drawn to those types of races that Mm -hmm. have that essence of open, a little more openness. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because you start in the dark and you can't see. Also helpful. You can't see what anyone looks like. You can't see the suits. (laughs) Yes. So I, but then going into Europe, it's like, Back to talking about the fear. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was for me, like, again, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. Like, this place is bonkers. Yeah. Um, And everyone is so tiny. I mean, you're tall. Like, Janelle and I... You have, like, tower over Yes. Like, they're literally at your shoulder. Mm -hmm. You're like, hey, little fella. And then they crush you. Yeah. They crush you with their little fella spirits. Uh So... Uh, good question. I'm not sure. Good I think question. it's an Unclear. ever-evolving we'll cultural see. landscape. I mean, do you think was Europe in Europe now is like second home for you? So is that intimidate? Do you feel intimidated? Or are you like I've done this? Like I've um, raced the World Cup circuit. I guess I feel like now I don't feel as intimidated. I think just because I've been there for longer, you know, like. And I don't know. Maybe it's just getting older too. Like I feel like I just am who I am. Like, if Euros aren't down with it, they're not down with it. And I don't know. I feel like maybe you need some, like, self-deprecating humor to, like, be less intimidated. Always a good Because, honestly, I'm like, you know what? I'm the worst skier on the World Cup. And <sighs> I, you know, like, if you're just honest about it, then all of a sudden there's no reason to be intimidated. Yeah. Like, I just straight up know that there's nobody who skis downhill worse than me oh, at the World Cups. That seems... But it's okay. Yeah. Like, you I know, know if it's I not my you, strength. But... I, I don't know. It might be a close battle if not. <laughs> like, there's they're just really good skiers yeah, and I they am are. not. Yes. And it is a really intimidating scene. But I'm grateful that personally now I'm just like, you know, I am the racer that I am. Yes. I, I feel like I've raced there enough now that I'm just excited to keep showing up at races. And as soon as I can stop having panic attacks on steep terrain, <laughs> we're going to be really, really sad. Yes. You know, they are, though, so good. Like, They're I remember so good. we were doing the team's race. I was racing with Jesse, who is a phenomenal downhill skier. Mm-hmm. And I hung my hat on the downhill. Like, I'm a decent downhill skier mm-hmm. because... I wasn't as good at the climbing. Mm-hmm. So it's like in my athlete resume, I need to hang my hat on something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to pick the downhill. But going there, it was like, 
oh, I am just like so good. Not even on the radar of the. Yeah, it was like we were in this. It was actually this low angle skin track, but it was just fast enough. It had snowed. This was in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, Valars. Yeah. And it was like this low angle skin track that if you had to pop out of it for any reason, you were Mm. going to explode just Mm because there's just powder everywhere. This super fast skin track. And it was just fast enough that I was like right on the edge of comfort. And there was Mm -hmm. a row of us. There's like 10 of us Mm. in a row and you're basically playing chicken and none of them, they're all just perfectly comfortable. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I feel like I'm being very irresponsible. Like this could really not pan out for any number of us. Yeah. It's crazy. Sometimes I'm just like, are they just born without fear? Like how does this seem like a safe life decision (laughs) to them? But it's okay. It's another one of those things where it's like, sometimes you just have to sacrifice yourself for the laughter of the greater good. When I got home from Europe this year, I went to Telluride to that race. Would definitely recommend but my skis like because i i arrived home from europe like 12 hours before because (laughs) with covid i got stuck in europe yes in the airport for a few days and so my skis did not make it home and so i i was using these other skis and the bindings got like pushed back in the adjustment plate so i couldn't clip in my heels Oh, no And big deal. at the end, you ski. Well, yeah. So from the beginning of the day, not good. Because it's like the iciest thing I've oh, ever gosh. skied. And oh. I'm just like not having fun. Straight up not having a good time. <laughs> and then you get to the end. It's like sunny. There's been good snacks. I'm in a better mood. But... The last descent is from the top of Palmyra Peak. Yes, and which I've heard this is a very... Yeah, it's, it's like a, a legitimate yes, ski. Yes, absolutely. And it just like, there was this rock at the like bottom of the first turn. And this was just the last straw for me because I could just see myself turning onto the rock. And then, you know, like when your ski gets caught on a rock and you fall... And I was like, I'm just going to tumble down. Yeah. So I just had a full-on panic attack. Like, I was in tears. I couldn't breathe. And uh, all these other racers are just, like, skiing by me. And eventually I made it down. There was a very kind man at the top who was like, I'm just going to ski down with you. I'm, like, hyperventilating. He's, like, coaxing me down. (laughs) He was a saint. But I finished and I was just, like, talking about how fun it was and, like, I had a great time and, like, all's good then. And everyone was just like, you were sobbing, like, 20 minutes ago. Do you recall? Yeah. Yeah. You persevered through the tears. As a pregnant person, I cry almost daily. I cried watching um, (laughs) Fixer Upper. And I was like, Nikki, get your shit together. Can I swear on your podcast? Oh, yeah. You okay. are underage. In case anyone was wondering, I am only 19. I was like shuffling downhill and just watching the lightning crying. And I was like, really, you've got to pull it together. Like, this is inexcusable. This is not okay. Just really quickly. I do kind of want to know a little bit about your day job as, you know, a civilian. Oh, like, yeah. how did you get into graphic design? And like, what does your job actually look like? You know, like, is most of it contract work? Or like, I know you do some for the town, but some for individuals. Yeah, I um, I always loved drawing when I was little. Like doodling was my jam. Mm-hmm. And then I went to school for. Um, I started actually in printmaking, which mm-hmm. is a beautiful way to make art, but mm-hmm. it's sort of a lost, lost method, and you need this gigantic printing press. And I remember mm-hmm. having a talk with my dad. Let's think through the printing, the printmaking mm-hmm. major, mm-hmm. which I am glad we had that combo. He crushed my dreams a little bit, but I can make money now, so... There you go. So a win overall. Yes, so I switched to graphic design and art history, and then I've done it freelance since 
college um, and I like worked for the town with Helen at, mm-hmm. at Town of Breck. And eventually I had enough clientele for a long enough time. I thought I'm going to make the move and start my own little company doing mm-hmm. this. So that was, I think, probably four years ago. And now I, I do like the bread and butter of my work is seems to be municipal work, like Town of Breck, Town of Frisco. It's cool, though, to do so many creative projects for municipalities. Like mm-hmm. I just designed both the Town of Breck and Town of Frisco's reusable bag, which oh, was awesome. such a fun project. And then... Huh. Town of Breck's like, let's collaborate and make that design into banners for the medians. And Mm. they've been really open to just these illustration heavy, really creative projects, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the niche I've I've found myself in with graphic design. So a lot of illustration based stuff, but I Mm -hmm. do like lots of t-shirt designs, logos, yeah, municipal marketing work, banners, um, promotional stuff. And then dabbling in the retail business. Oh, yeah. The buff universe. I still want to know when the sports bras are coming. Oh, yes. I'm still waiting. I keep telling yes. Michael that as soon as there's Nikki LaRochelle art sports bras, he's going to need to stop sending Dina Fit bras because I will yeah. no longer be wearing them. I know. I know. Actually, pattern design, I'm really compelled by. Mm-hmm. It's just making... I, I feel like the art is the strong suit for me, but the bit, some of the business side, like the production piece, mm. I am mm. not good at. And it takes a lot of time and research to make it like viable financially. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a lot to learn in the retail universe, but I do like card designs. I've done some card stuff for Leaning Tree. Most of their cards are hilarious and not <laughs> quite in the vein of design that I do, but... They have like a little line of designs that I can stand behind. So mm. they're a little cheesy, but it's cool. I mean, we're getting, I'm getting older. Cheesiness is adorable. It's been good. It's mm-hmm. been, and I love making art. I love it so much. I'll like get in the zone and it's all I want to do. Like at times with a creative project, it's like time and space are oh, not. Awesome. Yeah, I love getting up really early and doing that or mm-hmm. staying up late and doing that. So. I guess my last question is just obviously right now, step number one is just like have new baby La Rochelle. But (laughs) I am interested if there's any like other big races or big objectives on your like life bucket list that eventually you would like to do. Well, you and I are going to go do the TDG. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping that we, like, get in the same year. I know. I've been, I tried to look up the registration, and the website was a bit confusing to me. I know. I did the same. Yeah. If Joe's listening to this, I'm sure he's like, crap, this does not go well with training for the Olympics. (laughs) But, yeah, I've been like, huh. I guess we should say Tour de Jean to give, like... A more context if you didn't know the acronym. Yes. 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 Which is a race in Italy, mm-hmm. 200 miles. It's like 70,000 feet of vertical gain. Mm-hmm. It is totally an, like an older person race, though. I've watched lots of videos. For sure. I'd say the median age is 45 to 50. Not that so. that's old. But then you've got, that's accounting for like 60 year Yeah, I mean, median. And, yeah, then you yes. have a ton of people who are older. And they're crushers. Yeah. Yes. And that race is looks so beautiful Mm -hmm. like truly it is it looks incredible Uh, yeah i have a few other like little personal projects the plan is to try to rally back post baby dose Mm -hmm. and do some schema racing oh nice yeah and then in the bigger picture like there's some traverses i really want to do 
I really want to traverse with Brad. We've talked about traversing the Sangre de Cristo range. Oh, sweet. Um, so it'd be going um, south to north. So you do all those 14ers, like mm-hmm. Blanca, Little Bear, the Crestones, etc., outside of Alamosa and then heading north. And it, it's kind of cool. It's pretty technical through that initial beginning mm-hmm. and then would eventually get more benign as you went. That is an undertaking. That'd like, be amazing. Yeah. It would take, I think, we thought about five days. Oh, wow. Um, it's 100 miles, but it's so, so technical at yeah. the beginning. So, <laughs> yeah. So I've got some bigger, bigger things if I can fit them in, in the awesome. scheme. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm happy to come watch the kids turn the Gibbs <laughs> nannying gig into the Wellington neighborhood. Yes. Gig. Just watch all kids. You should time. just put them in a yard. You could play like Hunger Games with the children. Oh. But just not with actual death. Okay, well, before we end, is there anything else you want the viewers to know or parting tidbits of wisdom? Uh, I'm proud of you at your little baby age of 19 (laughs) having a podcast. (laughs) That is amazing. Uh, I'm very inspired by your... You are so good at being like, this is what I'm going to do, and you just do it. I mean, that is a real gift and ability, and I'm proud of you. (laughs) As we talked about, well, I among the millions of people that dabbled with the idea of podcasting Mm -hmm. but you did it that's great I don't I I feel like honestly it's just like having so many great mentors you know because I feel like there have been a lot of things where I'm like "Mm, will people approve of this and it's like I do it and then like I still have people who will run with me you know and so just like having people who stick around I feel like is the most empowering thing because then you can just be like you know, I'm going to be the person who starts a podcast and some people might judge, you know, some people might be like, oh, that Grace, she's just trying to be an influencer, which just like, by the way, not the goal of this podcast, but like some people might think that, but like the people who matter won't think that. Yes. So I feel like that's the place you have to get to, you know? Can I just, I just have to talk a little longer because this is such a theme, like pursuing things for me personally Mm -hmm. that have felt daunting, not only because of my own insecurity around it, Mm -hmm. but also fearing judgment of of other people. But then realizing like, if we live our lives that way, like stay small, Mm -hmm. don't don't enter into other people's domains or spheres or like, Mm -hmm. don't make too big of waves. I mean, it's not like I'm doing anything that dramatic, but if that is the the trajectory, Mm -hmm. it's like, you'll never do anything that you can stand behind. And it's like, we've got to just do shit. Yeah. I swore again. No, no, it's totally fine. You're so you right though. It. Like that fear of judgment is so real. And yeah. I feel like I've had that so many times. Like even just I think of this year. I've been like meeting with a therapist for like a year now. I really like this new therapist. It's been like something we've talked about a ton. Like in terms of A, going for things that I might not otherwise go for, and B in terms of setting boundaries that I might not otherwise be comfortable setting. And I even look at the 24-hour attempt thing, and, like, that was one of the most fun days of my life. Like, just having the whole Schemo community together and, like, getting to do my favorite thing all day. Like, it was so much fun. And all winter, I was thinking about it, and I was, like, so afraid to admit that it was something I wanted to do because I was, like, I'm 19. And, like, the other two women who went for that this this year are, like, so much more accomplished than me. Mm. And I was, like... For sure, people are going to judge this. And, like, all the time I get comments from people who are like, you're doing too much. And I was like, you know what? This is, like, going to validate what they're saying. But then, like, I did it. And I was like, gosh, 
that was like so much fun, you know? Yes. Like, yes. I'm so glad I didn't miss out on that. Yes. Or like, even I look at like, for example, in my relationship, it's not normal for like people who are 20 years old to be like, I like to go to bed at 9 p.m. <laughs> Because then when I wake up at 4 a.m., I feel really good. Yes. (laughs) But, like, that's been a boundary for me that I needed to set. You just can't, like, train at 4 a.m. well if you stay up until 1 a.m. But it's the same thing, like, the fear of judgment. It's such Mm -hmm. a real thing. You're so right. Like, at the end of the day, you just got to, like, go and do the shit that makes you feel happy. Absolutely. I really think I had a breakthrough, like, this last year where it's if I'm living um, my life to please others or mm-hmm. in according to what like we get signals right from people like stay you know you might get a signal like stay small or mm-hmm. you know maybe cautionary stuff like oh I wouldn't do that you know mm-hmm. all sorts of things but living according to other people it doesn't make any sense it mm-hmm. truly doesn't it's like what we do with our own lives is important and should be dictated by what we want to do for sure not like And this is stuff I've had to unlearn from, like, my childhood. Yeah. Like, this people-pleasing, staying small. I mean, honestly, like, self-preservation, getting Mm -hmm. through. Like, I want to be invisible. I don't want to disrupt. I just want to, like, get through and not ruffle any feathers. And it's like, well, that's one way to live. But is that the best way to live? And we've only got one life, as we all know. This year was such a breakthrough for me because this summer I found myself being like, I really want to go back to Europe. And like, I knew that what I wanted to do was transfer schools so that I could do school in a way that allowed me to live in Europe. But I was like, but what will people think? But like, as soon as I decided to like transfer schools, I just had this moment where I was like, that felt so big, you know, because I was like, I made a choice, even though I was so afraid that people would judge it because like, at the end of the day, it was what I wanted. Yes. I just, like, wish everyone would do that, you know? Like, it's yeah. so much more rewarding. I, I'm really proud of I you. I hope people can do that more. Yeah. And I think you are creating opportunity for yourself. And ultimately, we're all threatened by other people's success. Like, in some way, I think it is threatening because it reflects something about us. Mm -hmm. But that should never be a reason you don't pursue what you want out of your life. That's so true. And I'm so proud of you for doing that. This is just like therapy. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's just become the therapy podcast. But it's so true. Yes. In the end, if you're pleasing people, but you're not happy, yes. it doesn't matter. It you know? doesn't. It, it's it's not a good way to live. No, it's not. I hear you. I feel like that should be lesson number one from this. I feel like there are two <laughs> lessons from this. A, everyone go buy a poop shovel so that when you're on the trail, you're prepared. <laughs> and a pee funnel. And, and a pee funnel. And B, be yourself. <laughs> yes. Go after your goals, people. Just do it. Uh, Hashtag. Okay. Are, are you good? I'm good. That was so fun. Thank it you was for so having fun. me. No, thank you so well, much. We talked so much. I hope that's not like too much of your time. No. Me again. Surprise, surprise. Uh, thank you everyone for following along and listening to my conversation with Nikki. I know at, uh, at times we got a bit off track. There were many tangents, um, but Nikki and I just have such great conversations that, uh, I didn't want to uh, stick to a script or, I don't know, make it make it too formal. Um, it's nice to just sit down and see where the conversation takes us. So, um, yeah, I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, if you have any questions for Nikki, feel free to reach out on her social media. I'm sure she would be more than happy to hear from, hear from loyal fans, if you want to call yourselves that. Um, 
I hope you all have a good week. I will be releasing a new episode next week. I have three interviews actually in the queue. So I'm really excited to share those. Um, and yeah, just keep this rolling. Um, with that, thank you all for coming and we will talk to you next time on the Alpine Start Podcast. Thanks everyone.